Acts chapter 20, if you're excited and ready to dive into God's word, would you say amen? amen. Acts chapter 20, verse number 22, is where we're going to be this morning. The Bible says this, starting in verse 22. And now, behold, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But... None of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy. Everybody say joy. And the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you record to this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Today, for a few minutes, I want to speak to this subject. Don't hold back. In fact, everybody turn to your neighbor and nudge him and say, don't hold back. Don't hold back. Let's have a word of prayer together this morning. Father, thank you so much again for this day that you've given us. And Lord, thank you for the great week that we had this week at VBS. Lord, thank you for a church family that rallied together to serve and to guide these children and this next generation in the way that they should go. God, thank you that six children prayed and personally accepted you as their Savior. God, we want to give you all the praise and glory from it. Lord, thank you for this opportunity today to learn from your word, to worship you, to lift up your name, and also to honor those that serve in our community. And Lord, I pray that today as we look to your word that you would fill me with your spirit to give me the words to say. God, I pray that each one of us would be encouraged and challenged and edified as we consider the future that you have for us. Lord, I pray that we would deploy our faith and live and walk and be stretched by faith. We love you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said this morning. When Kate and I first got married, we decided that we should take our physical health very important and that we should start exercising. And it had been a while since we had exercised consistently, and so we decided that we were going to jump back in. And we decided at the time that we were going to do a program that was called P90X. How many of you ever remember P90X? It was all the rage back in the day, right? And so this was kind of before high-intensity interval training and CrossFit, and we were going to plug those DVDs in, and we were going to do P90X. And and uh, we were serious about this, and I told Katie before we started, if we're going to do P90X, we, we have to hold each other accountable. We have to be committed. We can't just kind of half-heartedly do this exercise program. We've got to be all in. We've got to com be committed. And so Katie said, all right, we're going to do this. And so we went to Walmart. And we bought all the things that we needed. Uh, we bought some weights. We bought uh, a, a yoga mat. We bought um, a pull-up bar. We bought all these different things. Katie bought a brand-new water bottle because she's always looking for an opportunity to buy a brand-new water bottle. And uh, she bought that. And so uh, we got all the gear that we needed. We went to bed the night. Uh, the next uh, morning, we woke up. We plugged uh, uh, that DVD in, and we started to work out. And it was great. It's this intense workout, and he's yelling at you, and we're watching this. And, and uh, man, about 20 minutes in, I was very out of shape. I was struggling. I was, my lungs were burning. I was sweating. My face was red. And I was like, man, I don't know if I can keep on going at this high intensity. I look over my shoulder and there's Katie sitting on the couch drinking her brand new water bottle. And uh, I looked at her and I just was thinking, I thought we were going to hold each other accountable in this, right? And uh, so I was like, come on, Katie, we got to go. Uh, come on. Uh, don't quit. Don't give up. Keep on going. And
And he said, no, 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 I just need a minute. You just keep on going. And so I thought, you know what? All right. Even if no one else is going to do this with me, though no person stand with me, I will be faithful and I will continue on in this workout program. And so I continued on. But a few minutes later, I was entirely out of breath. I had to put my hands on my knees. I was bending over like this and I was breathing so heavily. And Katie came over to me and she patted me on the back and said, at least you tried. That is not what I wanted to hear in that moment, right? At least you tried. And I can honestly stand before you today and say that I gave my absolute best. I left it all on the line. I didn't hold anything back. You know, when you study the scripture, time and time again, you see that following Jesus is not for the faint of heart. In fact, time and time again, Jesus talks about the cost of following him and the fact that we are to hold nothing back. We're to give everything that we have. In fact, uh, the Bible puts it this way in Mark chapter 12, verse number 29. Jesus said this, and he answered him and said, uh, the first of all the commandments is, hear, O Israel. He says, I want you to make sure you're listening. Hear this. The Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all, everybody say all, all thy heart. And with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength, this is the first commandment. And so when it comes to following Jesus, we are not to follow him half-heartedly. We are to give Jesus everything that we have. We're to love him and serve him with all of our heart, with all of our strength, with all of our might, with all of our soul. He requires everything that is within us. We are not to hold anything back. Now, this is difficult in our culture because if you haven't noticed, the culture today is constantly vying and pulling for our attention from so many different sources. And so many different things are trying to grasp our attention, and often we're depleted because we're trying to give our energy to so many different things in life. And uh, we're constantly being pulled in different directions. In fact, according to Forbes uh, magazine, I read this this week, that the average American spends 13 hours and 11 minutes a day using digital media. And so 13 hours a day, we're just connected, we're tethered to a phone, we're tethered to a computer, we're just uh, tethered and constantly connected, and so many things are pulling for our attention, and it makes it very difficult to be all in and focused on what God wants us to be all in and focused on. In Isaiah chapter 54, there's this interesting passage where uh, the nation of Israel, they had been in captivity, they were stuck because of their sin. But uh, the prophet Isaiah was going to encourage them in the future that God had for Israel, uh, mainly that there would come a Messiah that would bring redemption and salvation. But he was encouraging their future. And he writes this in Isaiah chapter 54, verse number one. Sing, O barren, thou that didst not bear. Even though you are barren, you can rejoice. Break forth into singing and cry aloud that thou didst, did not, uh, didst not travail with child, for more are the children of the desolate than the children of a married wife, uh, saith the Lord. Enlarge the place of thy tent. He's saying, uh, plan for a bright future. Enlarge the place of thy tent and let them stretch forth the curtains of thy habitations and so broaden your horizons. And then notice these next two words. Spare not. Spare not. Everybody say, spare not. That means don't hold back. Don't, don't spare. Spare not. Lengthen thy cords and strengthen thy stakes. And I love this exhortation to God's people. God is saying, I have great plans for you. I have a great future for you. And so don't hold back when it comes to serving me. Don't hold back when it comes to loving me. Broaden your horizons. Expand your tents. He's saying enlarge your tents. Don't hold back. Uh, I wonder this morning, when it comes to you and your commitment to following Jesus, I wonder what could be holding you back? 
what, who or what could be holding you back from the future that God has for you? Because Isaiah goes on, he's saying, spare not, don't hold back. But then he goes on and he says this in Isaiah chapter 54, verse number four. He says, fear not, for thou shalt not be ashamed, neither be thou confounded, for thou, uh, for thou shalt not be put to shame. And so really here he mentions two things that often hold us back from the future that God has for us, fear and shame. Uh, so often the reason we're holding back, the reason we spare, uh, the reason we don't go all in in our, in our calling of following Jesus is because fear holds us back. Shame holds us back. We think, man, I can't move forward because uh, I don't know if I can serve like that person. And man, uh, my past is holding me back and my uh, past experiences might be holding me back. And so I don't know if I can move forward in the future that God has for me. But notice what Isaiah says. He says this in verse four and five, for thou shalt uh, forget the shame of thy youth and shalt not remember the reproach of thy uh, widowhood anymore. Watch this. For thy maker is thine husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And thy redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of the whole earth, shall he be called. And so Isaiah says, hey, uh, you don't have to hold back any longer. You don't have to let shame hold you back. You don't have to let fear hold you back. Pause and consider your maker. Uh, he is your redeemer. He is your savior. He has good plans for you. He loves you more than you could ever imagine. And so you don't have to hold back. You can move forward and walk with confidence knowing that the one that called you and saved you is on your side. He has good plans for you. And so we shouldn't hold back. Uh, we should move forward and see what God can do through us. Now, uh, we come to Acts chapter 20 uh, this morning, and Paul is finishing up his third missionary journey. Now, if you've ever studied uh, Paul and his missionary journeys, uh, they are very exciting. They're very fascinating. They're very fast-paced. Paul going and starting these different churches in the book of Acts. When you come to Acts chapter 20, Paul is concluding his third missionary journey. His third missionary journey is very fascinating. If you read the context of, of Acts chapter number 20 in the early part, uh, the Bible says that Paul, the apostle, he was preaching in a place called Troas. And Paul was preaching for a long time. And uh, Paul, could, you know, at Rock Hill, we have three services. And so our services are, uh, times are somewhat uh, constrained. And uh, Paul didn't have that constraint. And so he was preaching. In fact, the Bible says he was preaching all night long. It was midnight, the Bible says, and Paul was still preaching. How many of you would like to just have like an all-day service at Rock Hill? Anybody like that? Just preaching all the way through midnight. And so Paul was preaching. And he was preaching for a long time. And there was a teenage boy, the Bible says, he was sitting up in a window. And he started to get a little sleepy. And uh, sometimes I'll look out in the audience at Rock Hill and I'll see some people getting a little bit sleepy and uh, I'll notice that. And, and this teenage boy, he started to get a little bit sleepy in the window and the Bible says that he actually fell asleep and he fell out of the window and died. All right. How many of you would say that's an interesting church service to be a part of, right? It's like, whoop, that was not good. And uh, he uh, fell asleep, fell out of the window. He died. Uh, Paul goes down and he embraces him and he was raised back to life through the power of God. Uh, this was an amazing church service to be a part of, one that you would never forget, right? And so Paul leaves that church service, that late night uh, church service from Troas. He goes to a place called Miletus. And while he's there in Miletus, he calls for the Ephesian elders uh, that were uh, left at the church that he just started in Acts chapter 19 in Ephesus. If you were here last week, we studied from the letter to the church at Ephesus. And, and here in Acts chapter 19, Paul starts that church. But in Acts chapter 20, he wants to talk to those elders. He wants to talk to those leaders. And he, so he calls for them. 
And so they come to Miletus, and Paul is pouring out his heart to these elders, these pastors in Ephesus. And he is reminding them of how he held nothing back. He's reminding them of, of his all-in, all-out commitment in following Jesus. Paul was reminding them that he did not hold back in his preaching. He did not hold back in his serving. He did not hold back in his loving. He did not hold back in his giving. He was saying, man, I gave it everything I had. And he was encouraging them to do the same. And so today, as we look to these verses in Acts chapter 20, which is one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible, uh, Acts chapter 20, and this, this conversation that Paul has with these pastors, it's so encouraging, it's so edifying, uh, it teaches us so much about life and leadership in the ministry. As we look to these verses, I want to give us three ways, if you're taking notes today, three ways that we can hold nothing back as we have faith for the future. Uh, three ways that we can hold nothing back as we have faith for the future. Now, uh, to, to, to get a little bit of context, I want you to see, I want you to pick it up in verse number 22. Notice what it says. It says, And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. He says, I'm bound in the Spirit. That means that Paul said, even if I wanted to do something else, I couldn't. Because Paul was so yielded and so submitted to the Holy Spirit that he says, man, I'm going bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem. He's talking about his future plans. And so he says, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem. Then he says this, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. Paul says, I'm not even sure what's going to happen. My future is uncertain, but my faith is unwavering. He, he says, I go bound in the spirit. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what the future holds, but I know this. I'm going to continue to walk by faith. I know that I'm going to continue in the calling that God has for me, even though I, I'm uncertain of my future. Verse number 23, uh, it says this, say that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. And so he says, Says, I don't know what the future holds, but I know one thing, I'm going to encounter adversity. I know one thing, there's going to be bonds, there's going to be afflictions. Can I just remind you that the Bible says that all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution? That as a church, we don't know what the future holds, but we know that there will be times of adversity. There will be times of trial and affliction and persecution. And Paul said, I don't know what the future holds, but I know that there will be adversity. And then he goes on in verse number 24, and he says this, but... None of these things move me. Don't you just love the attitude and the spirit of the Apostle Paul? Yeah, I know that there's going to be difficulty. I know there will be adversity. I know that hard times come, but none of these things are going to shake me. None of these things are going to move me. I am unshakable uh, moving forward. Neither count I my life dear unto myself. It's not just about me. So that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And, and so Paul said, you know, even though my circumstances are not favorable, my calling is not optional. Uh, none of these things will move me. I'm going to continue in, in the race that God has for me. By the way, did you notice in verse number 24 that Paul said, I will run my course that God has set before me, my race? Uh, Paul knew what God had called him to do. Maybe today... You are frustrated and struggling in life because you are trying to run somebody else's race. You are busy comparing yourselves among yourselves and thinking, well, because they're doing it, I might as well do it. And maybe that person's doing it, so I probably should do it. Paul said, I can't pretend to be someone else. I'm running the race that God has for me. I'm doing the calling that God has for me. That's what I want to be faithful to. And that's what I'm going to submit to. And so uh, with this context in mind, how Paul is just unshakable, uh, let me give you these three ways today uh, that we can uh, move forward and hold nothing back. Number one is this, if you're taking notes, stay connected to your purpose. 
Many reasons, many, uh, uh, many times the reason why we're not uh, faithful in our calling and we're holding things back is because we have forgotten what our God-given purpose is in life, and we have disconnected from our purpose. Now, I want you to see Paul's purpose here, and I believe that his purpose is also our purpose as well. Notice verse number 25. If you're still with me this morning, would you say amen? amen. Verse 25. He says, and now, behold, I know that you all, among whom I have gone Preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. He said uh, that you all, among whom, among whom I did ministry with you. Remember, he's talking to the Ephesian elders, those pastors there in Miletus. He's saying, we've done ministry together. You've seen what I've done. Uh, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God. Now, this is an interesting statement because if you read Acts chapter 19, when Paul spent time with these Ephesian elders, and as he started the church of Ephesus, the Bible says that Paul did some pretty incredible things in Ephesus. In chapter 19, verse number 11, uh, Paul did miracles by the power of God. In, in verse number 12, Paul uh, healed the sick in the name of Jesus. In fact, in verse number 15 of Acts chapter 19, he cast out demons. And so Paul had a busy ministry in Ephesus. He was doing so many wonderful th things in the name of Jesus. But notice when Paul is meeting with the Ephesian elders, he doesn't say those things. He doesn't say, among whom you saw me perform miracles, among whom you saw me cast out the demons, among whom you saw me heal the sick. He said, among whom I went preaching the kingdom of God. In other words, Paul said, man, I've had the privilege in ministry to do a lot of amazing and interesting things by the grace of God and for the glory of God. But the most important thing on my radar were not those miracles, were not those other things. The most important thing on my radar was preaching the kingdom of God. That was his priority. He had this evangelism fervor to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. And so Paul was reminding the Ephesian elders about how he was starting these churches and how he was preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. Can I tell you today that a pinnacle hallmark of a thriving church is not a church that just has a plethora of different ministries, although that can be great. The hallmark characteristic of a thriving church is a church that is committed to preaching the kingdom of God, a church that is committed to evangelistic fervor. When that is the main thing, when the main thing is the main thing, and the main thing is reaching people with the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus Christ. Paul said, you know my story. You know my testimony. I was passionate about preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. By the way, you don't need the title preacher to be a preacher. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 14, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Today, we have to recognize that there are people all around us in our city, in our community that are in desperate need of the love of Jesus Christ. And we have the good news of the gospel to share. And as a church, if we're going to have faith for our future, we must have an evangelistic fervor to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. And this is exactly what Paul was doing here. Uh, this past week, we had VBS. And I love to see this in action. I love to see uh, children inviting their friends to church and parents inviting other parents to bring their children to church. And it was great just to see friends inviting friends. And someone told me there was a story, a uh, family in our church invited another family and their children came on Monday night. And the next day they were supposed to go to Legoland. But the children had so much fun at our VBS that they said, we don't want to go to Legoland. We want to go to night two of VBS. Am I trying to say that Rock Hill Kids is better than Legoland? 
Absolutely, that's exactly what I'm trying to say today. Uh, and it was awesome to see friends inviting friends and people inviting people. And can I just tell you that as a church, if we're going to have faith for our future, FFTF, we must have an evangelistic fervor. We must never just kind of keep to ourselves. We have to go out to the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. And so Paul said, hey, uh, you know among whom I went and preached the kingdom of God. That was the priority. That was the mission at hand. In fact, notice verse number 26. Uh, Paul talks about uh, the thoroughness of his evangelistic fervor. In verse 26, he said, Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. Now, what does that mean? Paul here is referencing words that the prophet Ezekiel said in Ezekiel chapter 3 in the Old Testament. He's essentially quoting scripture. It was this section about the watchman. If you were a watchman or a guard for an ancient city, what you would do is you would watch and observe, and if the enemy was coming, you would sound the alarm. But if the enemy was coming, and you were the watchman, and you didn't sound the alarm, then you would be responsible and liable for the destruction of that city. But if you were a watchman, and you sounded the alarm and said, the enemy is coming, but nobody responded, then you were innocent of the blood on those men's hands. And that's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that God appointed me to be a spiritual watchman to protect over the church and to sound the alarm and to let people know that there really is a place called heaven and that there really is a place called hell. And I was letting people know and declaring the kingdom of God and declaring the gospel. And so I've been a faithful watchman. Uh, this is what Paul was saying, that he was so passionate about telling other people about Jesus. And so he had this evangelistic fervor. But I want you to see also the second purpose was a biblical hunger. Notice verse number 27. Are you still with me this morning? Verse 27, he said, for I have not shunned. I didn't hold anything back. I have not shunned. I have not stopped to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Now, what did Paul do while he was in Ephesus? As he's having this little powwow with these pastors, he's reminding them of what they did. He said, I was preaching the kingdom of God. I didn't shun to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Paul spent a lot of time in Ephesus teaching. He spent a lot of time in Ephesus preaching. In fact, uh, something interesting about uh, Ephesus, in fact, if you have your Bible open, I want to encourage you, uh, turn one page in your Bible and go to Acts chapter 19. All right, I hear some pages whistling. Acts chapter 19. Notice verse number 9. If you can see it, can you say amen? amen? All right, if you can't, just pretend. Verse number 9. He says, but when diverse or various were hardened, so when different groups of people were hardened, Verse 9, and believe not, but spake evil of that way. Uh, the way was a name, uh, a nickname that people kind of came up with for followers of Jesus in the first century. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so people that believed in Jesus Christ were known as those of the way. And so there was people in Ephesus that they rejected the way. They believed not uh, before the multitude. He departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. And so they, they rented out this school in Ephesus called Tyrannus, and that's where Paul was teaching daily and preaching the good news of the gospel. Now, something interesting that you might not have known that we have in common with the church at Ephesus is we also started the church in a rented school. Uh, we rented not, I think we have a picture this morning, we rented not from the school of one Tyrannus, but from uh, one of Wayne Rubel, okay? That's, uh, that's where we started our church, Rock Hill Church. Uh, we started there in 2017, renting out a school. That's exactly how Paul started the church at Ephesus. They rented out the school of Tyrannus, and he was faithfully teaching there. Verse number 10 says this of Acts 19. It says, and this continued by the space of two years. Uh, so they all, uh, they which dwelt in Asia, heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Paul was faithfully teaching uh, the truth of
He was faithfully going verse by verse through the Hebrew scriptures. He was faithfully teaching the words of Jesus and the life and the ministry of Jesus. Paul said, I, I shun not to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Uh, Paul said, I didn't skip out on the hard parts. I didn't just teach my favorite parts. I was teaching you all the counsel of God's word. And we as a church must maintain a biblical hunger, not just for our favorite selected scriptures, but for all the counsel of God's word. By the way, I still happen to believe that all scripture is given by inspiration and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction in righteousness. Uh, we are a church that is passionate about teaching and preaching the truth of God's word, verse by verse, line by line, precept by precept, because it's not about what we have to say. It is about what he has to say. And so Paul was saying, man, I didn't keep back. I, I didn't shun to declare unto you all the counsel of God. The Bible says this in 2 Timothy 4. Paul was reminding of end times, and he said this, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lusts, shall they keep to themselves teachers having itching ears. In other words, Paul was saying, hey, be careful. The time will come when even amongst the church, there are people that just have itching ears. Just tell me what I want to hear. Just tell me what feels good. Just tell me how loved I am. Tell me how great I am. Tell me how awesome I am. And uh, listen, I believe that the church should be a place of edification where we build each other up. But the Bible also says that the church should be a place of exhortation where there is conviction, where there is warning. And so we want to be faithful to the entirety of Scripture. And that's exactly what Paul said. Man, I was all in. I didn't hold anything back. I was committed in evangelism, and I was committed uh, to the truth of God's word. Notice verse 28. It says this, take heed. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, take heed. All right, we had about 26% participation. Let's try that again. Everybody turn to your other neighbor, your second choice, and say, take heed. There we go. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves. Now, this is a specific exhortation to the Ephesian elders. He's talking specifically to the shepherds of the church in Ephesus. And he said, take heed, therefore, unto yourselves, uh, the plurality there, and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you an overseer to feed, everybody say feed, feed, feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. By the way, aren't you thankful for that? And so here he's talking to the Ephesian elders. He's talking to the shepherds. And there are four primary responsibilities of a shepherd uh, here that we see in verse 28. Uh, heed, feed, lead, and protect. He says, heed, take heed unto yourselves. Uh, the first responsibility of a shepherd, of an overseer, a pastor, or an elder is to take heed unto themselves, uh, to make sure that they have a right heart before the Lord, that, that, that someone is not just declaring something that they're not practicing themselves, that they have a real walk with God. And so he says, take heed unto yourselves. But then he says, uh, uh, heed. And then he says, feed. Make sure that you are feeding the flock. The primary responsibility of that of a shepherd or an elder is to feed the flock with the truth of God's word, to not feed the flock with opinions or ideas or just subjective thoughts, but to feed the flock with the truth of God's word, to lead, to guide, to steer in the right direction, and then to protect as a shepherd, to warn uh, against the enemies that might be coming. And that's exactly where Paul transitions on to next. And so today, number one, we stay connected to our purpose. What is our purpose? To evangelize the lost and to grow in God's word. That's our purpose. Uh, second, we have to pay attention to the enemy. As a church, if we're going to have faith for the future, we have to pay attention to the enemy. Now, he's going to list two enemies. He's going to list the enemy from without and the enemy from within. Notice verse number 29. He says this, for I know this. He was confident in this. I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Paul says, I know this. 
Uh, this is something that I'm confident in, that there will be grievous wolves that come in that want to destroy and not spare the flock. Hey, if we're going to have faith for the future, we also need discernment for the future. We need to recognize that there are wolves that want to come in and destroy the church and destroy your life, destroy your marriage, destroy your family, destroy your children's lives. There are wolves. In fact, this week, I watched about five minutes of a documentary. It got a little boring, so I turned it off. But I, but I watched five minutes of this documentary called Sea Wolves. And I didn't even know there was such a thing. But there is a wolf that can hunt its prey on the land and in the sea. And uh, living in British Columbia, they just dive into the water and they'll catch things. And, and uh, they are experts at hunting their prey. And, and Paul says this about the wolves that will come into the church. He says they will spare not. Uh, they, they're not going to hold back. They're not going to take it easy. Uh, they want nothing more than to devour the local church. And so he says, be very careful that you're paying attention to the lies of the enemy. I read this week that uh, the University of Southern California did this study where they said that we are told on average, on a daily basis, we are told uh, around 200 lies through white lies, just simple things in conversation, through entertainment, through ads, through social media, just constantly being fed lies to. And, and their study went on and they said this, and this was uh, uh, more surprising to me, that 54% of people cannot discern uh, between what is that truth and what is the lie. And so essentially what they were saying is 50% of the time, uh, we don't know if we're being told the truth or a lie. And so even if you are a very discerning person and you sense, well, I can really read body language and I know, uh, I know that I'm on guard, uh, so often we are susceptible to falsehood. Uh, this is the idea that often we are being lied to and we have to pay attention to the wolves that might want to come in and teach a false doctrine or to uh, rip apart the church. And so uh, he's saying there will be enemies from without. But then notice verse number 30. He says this, Also of your own selves shall men arise. And so, yeah, there's going, to be, there's going to be some enemies from without, but there's also going to be some enemies from within. From your own selves, men shall arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. You know, I imagine what those Ephesian elders, how they would have responded to that exhortation from Paul. Paul's like, hey, there's going to be wolves that are coming in from without. And they're like, yeah, we're going to protect. Yeah, we got this. We're going to be on guard. And then he says, there's also going to be wolves from among you. And they look around like, who, him? Not, not, not me? Uh, us? Not so. Say it ain't so, Paul. He says, yeah, there's going to be wolves and there's going to be an enemy coming from amongst you. You know, it's almost easier for a pastor to stand up and say, hey, be careful about the culture out there and the wickedness out here. But often it's very difficult to ascertain the enemy in here. That the devil wants to slip into the doors of the church and he wants to spread division and gossip and false doctrine. And, and Paul says, be very careful about an enemy that might want to rise up from within. In fact, notice the verse, verse number 30. He gives us two things in verse 30. He says, also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things. And so what will their tactic be? Uh, what will their motive be or, or, or their method, excuse me, their method would be that they would perverse uh, things, that they would twist what is true. Uh, so many people get confused about false teachers because false teachers don't typically deny scripture. They distort the scripture. That uh, They twist it. They, they want it to sound like something else. And so uh, that's their method. He says they're going to perverse things. But then also their motivation, their motivation at the end of verse number 30 is this, to draw away disciples after them. They want people to follow them. 
They want a crowd. Uh, your ego will cause you to do things that you otherwise would not normally do. And so Paul says, be very careful if there's people that are just trying to uh, draw people to themselves and just trying to get attention and build a name for themselves. By the way, we are not here for any person other than the person of Jesus Christ. It is his name that we lift up. It's his name that we worship. It's his name that we praise. It's his name that we rally behind. It's his name that is worthy and that every knee shall bow to the name of Jesus Christ. And so it's not about us. It's all about him. And so he says, be very careful about those that just want to build a following for themselves. Paul said this in Galatians chapter one, verse number 10, for do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. It's not about pleasing men. It's all about pleasing the Lord. Notice verse number 31. Therefore, watch and remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. And so Paul says, pay attention to the enemy. Number one, uh, we have to stay connected to our purpose. Number two, pay attention to the enemy. The enemy from without, the enemy from within. Now here's the third thought. You have time for number three today? Number three is this. If we're going to hold nothing back, we have to cultivate a heart of generosity. We have to cultivate a heart of generosity. Paul is going to demonstrate here his, his heart for the church, for people, and his heart for generosity. Notice, I want you to see as we close today, there are three traits of a generous person, and I would encourage you to jot a couple of these things down. Three traits of a generous person. First, they are content. Notice verse number 32. It says this, and now, brethren, I commend you to God into the word of his grace, which is able to build you up, there's that edification, encourage you, and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified, all those that are set apart. Verse 33, I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Paul was revealing his motive in the ministry. He said, it wasn't just about me earning money or it wasn't just about me and the clothes that I was wearing, the apparel. I didn't covet any man's silver. I didn't covet any man's gold. It wasn't just about me trying to accumulate uh, status or stuff because Paul recognized that stuff will never give you true satisfaction. And Paul said, I didn't covet these things. Paul was warning against materialism and covetousness. Can I tell you today that this is an admonition that I believe the church in 2023 needs to hear? A warning against covetousness a warning against materialism. Paul said, it wasn't about these things for me. If you've ever seen a dog race, maybe you've seen like a clip on TV and uh, those greyhounds that are race around the track and, and uh, they have this mechanical rabbit uh, that's out in front of them and they chase after that mechanical rabbit. How many of you know what I'm talking about? All right. And uh, uh, there was this race a couple of years ago where uh, the mechanical rabbit halfway through the race just stopped working at malfunction. And an amazing thing happened. All the greyhounds, they stopped racing and they just started playing with each other around that rabbit. And I brought a video for us this morning to check out. Lady Shanna trying to wind up next. Then two jobs and CJ's half was last. It's Jasmine Lilly still with a big lead though. Jasmine Lilly for Mari, then Penny Eagle and Lady Shanna. Oh, they've caught the lure. They've caught the lure. So you're on Jasmine Lilly, you're stiff because it was going like the winner. They're just wagging their tails. They were like, this is the best race ever, right? And uh, uh, I think it's interesting that they're racing for something and following something and chasing something that's not even real. That even when they catch it, it wasn't going to bring that fulfillment. See, so many people today are chasing after something that's never going to bring eternal fulfillment or satisfaction. Even if you get what you want, 
Even if you get the bigger house, even if you get the nicer car, even if you get the raise, you get the promotion, nothing can satisfy the deep longings of your soul like Jesus. Can I remind you today, the rabbit isn't real? We can keep on chasing, we can keep on trying to find some sense of satisfaction, but only Jesus is the living water. Only Jesus is the bread of life. Only Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And one drink of the living water and you will never be thirsty again. And so Paul says, man, I didn't covet any man's silver or gold or apparel. It wasn't about those temporary things for me. It was about the eternal purpose that God placed in my heart. And so uh, Paul was demonstrating this generosity through a heart of contentment. But then not only contentment, uh, a generous person, secondly, is sacrificial. Notice verse 34. He says, yea, you yourselves know. Again, Paul lived a very open life. He says, I didn't try to hide anything. You know, you've observed that these hands... Everybody say, these hands, these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. Paul said, I was serving. You've observed these hands. By the way, I love this. Paul said, my heart is in it, but also my hands were in it. Don't tell me that your heart is in it if your hands aren't in it. You can't say, yeah, my heart's there. My heart's in the right place if your hands aren't actively involved in serving. Uh, Paul was a generous person. He was content, but he was also sacrificial. He said, man, uh, my hands were, I was working hard. I was laboring. I was serving. I was, I was generous with my, with my time and my resources to provide for myself and for uh, my team. And so Paul uh, was uh, sacrificial. He was content. But here's the third thing, the third trait of a generous person. Are you interested in it? The third trait is this. They're blessed. Verse 35. I have showed you all things. How that so laboring you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, quoting Jesus, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul is quoting the words of Jesus. These are unrecorded words in the Gospels, but Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. I believe that this is the perfect admonition for anyone that's in leadership. By the way, I think in some capacity, all of us are in leadership in some form or another. But leaders are always more concerned with what they can give than what they can get. Jesus said, blessed, it's more blessed to give than to receive. It's reminiscent of the Beatitudes. Remember Matthew chapter 5? Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are they that mourn. This is kind of a continuation of the Beatitudes. In fact, you could even say maybe perhaps this is the greatest Beatitude of them all because Jesus says it is more blessed to give than to receive. Uh, you want to be blessed in life? You want to experience the blessings of God? Be a generous person. As a church, if we're going to have faith for the future, it's going to require the generosity of God's people. Listen, we want to pray and ask God to do what only God can do. Last week was all about the faith to ask, and this week is, a, is about the faith to give. Uh, the faith to hold nothing back. I want to give of my time. I want to give of my talent. I want to give of my treasure. Uh, we want to be praying with that board that's out in the lobby, but we also want to be marked by our generosity. If we're going to be able to get into a building, uh, a building that I believe that God has for us, it's going to require sacrifice and generosity. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse number 6. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. Not grudgingly or of necessity. It's not a have to. For God loves a cheerful giver. And if God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. 
it's truly more blessed to give than to receive. And I would encourage you, maybe you're here at the 8.30 service, maybe you're watching online today, and you've never really trusted God with the tithe, or you've never really trusted God with uh, your uh, income. Uh, at Rock Hill, we believe in the principle of the tithe, that, that God is not interested in our money, but he is interested in our heart, and where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so we want to be faithful to the Lord in giving. Now, if this is your first or second time today, that's not uh, what this is all about. But for those of us that call Rock Hill home, I want to encourage you in one area today. On the giving envelope or online giving, there is a section that says building. And anything that's ever gone to that building fund, we've never spent as a church. We've put that directly into a building account, a savings account. And we want to make sure that if a building does become available and we need to put down a down payment, that our church is ready and in a position to be able to uh, put an offer in on that building. And so I would encourage you, if the Lord puts it on your heart, can I encourage you to be faithful? Yes, in your tithes so that we can keep the daily operations of our church moving forward, but also to give above and beyond uh, the tithe toward a future building that we believe that God has for us. And so Paul here is reminding them of his, of his servant. He held nothing back. And he said it's going to require generosity. The last verse I want to read today is this in Romans chapter 8, verse 32. It says this. He that spared not his own son. Aren't you thankful that God didn't hold out on us? That God didn't hold back on us? He that spared not his own son but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? I'm so thankful that God loved us with an immeasurable love. And when he looked on our lives, that we were desperate and lost without hope and stuck in our sin, that he didn't hold back, that he wasn't stingy with us, but that he gave his only begotten son, that he sent Jesus. He spared him not to live a perfectly sinless life and to die on the cross in your place and in my place. And aren't you thankful that he rose again on the third day and because Jesus is alive and well today, we too can live on and experience eternal life. And so today, if you're in the room or if you're watching online and you've never experienced the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus, you've never placed your faith in Jesus, today can be the day of salvation for you. And you can experience the forgiveness of your sins and new life in Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes together.